Well, good morning, everybody. It's it's a, really a delight to be here. It's a great honor, actually, uh, to fellowship with you, to worship with you. Uh, you know, I was raised in the Nazarene church. My father was a Nazarene pastor. And uh, with that tradition, I remember we always started every, every service um, at the beginning all hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Every service began with that great, great hymn, uh, because it was number one in the Nazarene hymnal. We always turn to number one. <laughs> but I was raised, of course, in the church and in the, in the front pew with my dad preaching, and we had to, of course, behave and be good. But uh, I love worshiping Jesus. I love the church and what he's doing around the, the world. Um, Jesus is just so amazing in all the things that he does. And it's such an honor to be uh, basically sent out to the nations to be able to expand on our understanding of worship and also to release uh, that understanding and to equip and to facilitate worship in many, many different uh, situations. This is probably my first time in a, in a very liturgical setting, so if you'll excuse me, I'm I'm uh, sort of getting my feet here, uh, getting my feet wet with you, and uh, this is delightful to see you and to worship with you. Um, my, uh, you know, I was raised, of course, in the church, but I I, I always had this desire towards music. And I don't know if you can see it. I've got my little cello here. It's been with me for 40, well, almost 50 years now. And uh, my guitar by my side. And uh, just music's always been a part of my life. And so I got a degree in music many years ago at uh, Northwest Nazarene in Napa, Idaho. But uh, from that point, you know, I taught uh, uh, junior high music. In fact, I believe God told me when I was in high school that I was to be a junior high music teacher, which is crazy because who wants to be a junior high music teacher? And uh, it's just a crazy time uh, with, you know, the kids and everything like that. But it was a, really a, a very interesting time for me as I grew in my giftings and all that. But just teaching kids in the public schools there in the Dalles. I don't know if you all know where the Dalles is. And it was, you know, it's a little town, wonderful people. And sort of grew up and cut my teeth on all of that. In the meantime, I'm in a uh, got involved in a little church called Bible Way, a uh, church of about 30 people. And uh, in that process, uh, started playing the piano more. I, I was actually more of a cellist and a guitarist, and so I started sort of learning the piano and and uh, sort of find, finding my feel for the piano and the chords and all this kind of stuff. And in the process, you know, learning to worship Jesus with my hands, with my music more and more and more, uh, because I'd always allowed other people to sort of lead me. And then in that process of time, I found sort of found my voice and uh, sort of writing songs. In fact, I, I thought thought maybe I would just share one quick song with you that uh, the Lord gave me. Uh, a couple of years ago, actually, but it really fits where we're we're at right now with with the pandemic. I don't know about you, but it's been a been a been a long haul uh, since our ministry is mostly international. 
Uh, all of our traveling shut down. In fact, uh, I haven't traveled since last February, a, a year ago, February, came back from India uh, and then came back to the pandemic and came back to COVID and all that kind of stuff. I've seen friends die of COVID uh, and it's just been a heartache for so many, many people. But uh, in the process, uh, I got real quiet with God. And so certain songs, as we all know, certain songs really mean more to us in certain seasons. And so this song has really sort of helped me a lot. It's real simple. It's from, uh, from one of the songs, I forget which one it is. It's where David is saying, don't let my bones grow old in silence. Let's just sing this for you real quickly. Don't let my bones grow old in silence. Don't let my lips grow cold without praise. Don't let my hands hang down in weariness. Lord, lift me up to stand another day. Don't let my bones grow in silence. Don't let my lips grow cold without praise. Don't let my hands hang down in weariness. Lord, lift me up to stand another day. Lord, lift me up to stand another day. Lord, lift me up. Lord, lift us up. Lord, lift us up to stand another day. Amen. That should, thank you very much. That should be our heart. You know, it's always Jesus, we need you. No matter what we're going through, whether it's the mountain or the valley, we need him. And he's, we know he's there, but we need to be able to know that he's there <laughs> and to really experience that and to, to feel it and sense it and explain uh, uh, explain it, give it, uh, give him all the glory in the midst of all the stuff we're going through. So today I wanted to talk to you about uh, literally the, the topic is called raising my expectations or raising our expectations. And specifically, I put the word our in there because I want, want to include me with this, is that it's not just about you, me talking to you, telling you what to do, but it's really a it's all of us talking together about our expectations or hope, if you will, of what Christ would do in our lives. And it's so, uh, so important that we as Christians live in a state of expectation, a state of hope, a state of uh, really a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Amen. By the way, I, I, we, my wife and I attend a, a black church up in uh, North Portland, uh, Pastor Mark Strong. Uh, just, a, just a great congregation, but I'm used to people talking back to me, uh, you know, when you preach. <laughs> so, you know, if you want to put something in the box there or, you know, give me a shout out or something like that, that's cool because I'm totally used to that. And of course, traveling around the world also, I get all sorts of experiences coming back at me. So I've experienced some wild and crazy things and some really some of the sweetest things, sweetest moments. And I'll be talking about some of those as we go along. But, you know, expectation, I believe, is, is something 
it's it's always on my heart. I in fact I use I, I I told Matt that I I have a sermon that I developed years ago with concerning expectation, and I built it around Christmas because Christmas is the, is probably the ultimate day of expectation. There's probably no other day in in the whole year that we have this expectation of something, uh, whether it's good or bad. But we we usually have this this thought of this is what Christmas is going to be like, and we have all these songs. We even in the Christianity we have a whole season called the Advent season, right, where we're we're looking for the coming of Christ, and we're we're expecting His appearance, you know, in the manger in Bethlehem and all this kind of stuff. And so, and I love Christmas. It's it's definitely one of my favorite seasons. It's great to play cello. Uh, with it, my wife plays flute, and so we do a lot of music during the Christmas season. It's wonderful, but it's a season of expectation. But it's also a season of broken expectations. It's a season where we're very disappointed, oftentimes, with what we were expecting didn't really happen, and so we have this 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 thing in our minds of of this great hope that you know we're all going to gather around the tree and we're going to sing the songs and everything's going to be wonderful and we're going to get the right kind of presents and everybody's going to be loving each other it's going to be the sweet thing and oftentimes it just doesn't happen and so we have this expectation around one day and then it's done and then the next day i don't know about you but the day after christmas it's like ah eh, i don't want to sing anything about christmas <laughs> it's it's over and uh Sometimes, you know, it was a good season, but sometimes it's bad. It's sometimes it doesn't really uh, meet that expectation. So I, I would build this whole sermon around that. In fact, I even used, uh, you know, some of the songs like, uh, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Okay. So the dream goes on, but it never really necessarily appears. <laughs> and then we have, uh, uh, well, actually my favorite. And I was thinking of putting this this up there, but it was the the classic picture of Lucy holding the football, right? And Charlie Brown coming up to kick it every year, right? He comes up and he's going to kick that ball. He has this expectation: this is going to be great. It's going to be great. And of course, every every time Lucy pulls the ball back and he flips and he lands on his back. Okay, it's like Charlie Brown, you're stupid. You know, had to have that expectation over and over again. But in my mind, the football is Christmas. Okay. And Lucy is reality. <laughs> and it's the reality. It sometimes pulls that expectation away and says, no, not this year, maybe next year. But uh, so we have this, this thing inside of us. I think this eternal thing inside of us, and we really want to hope for something that is eternal something that really will happen and will really stick with us. And so I, I, I developed this whole thing. But, and I hope you have your Bibles today because I'm going to actually refer to quite a few scriptures. Uh, one we've already read there in, this, in the Psalm, uh, Psalm 33. But I'd like to start the, the journey of expectation actually in Joshua, if you will. Joshua 2. And uh, I'm sure you know these these stories that I'm going to tell, but the, this is the story of Jericho when the Israelites were about to uh, come up, come over the Jordan River and attack Jericho. But they sent spies into Jericho to figure out, you know, what's what's the feel of the city. Well, in this city, the spies found this lady 
as we all know, she's a harlot or a prostitute, and her name was Rahab. And Rahab uh, took them in and told them, basically, hey, you guys are amazing. We're going to die, you know, and, and uh, we're all in fear of you. We have no, we have no hope here. Uh, but please, when you come to take the city, would you please spare me and my family? And she's just, she's begging these spies. And so they come, they come to her and it's, a, it's in uh, verse 18 there. And they're, they're talking to her and it says, we will be blameless of this oath of ours because they made this oath that they would, they would protect her and they keep her safe and her family. But unless we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's house household into your own home. So it shall be whatever goes outside the doors of your house his blood will be on his own, own head, etc. Okay, so they had this, they had this oath that they they gave to Rahab and they said, now look, if you do this, you're gonna bind this scarlet thread on your window. And whoever's in that household where the scarlet thread hangs, they will be safe. Anybody that goes outside of that will not be saved. And so Rahab did that. She, she put the scarlet thread in her window. As we know, the Israelites came. They did the seven days. They blew the trumpets. The walls fell down. They all came forward. But Joshua told the spies to make sure that Rahab was safe. And so they came in and made sure Rahab and her whole family got saved out of this destruction. And they, they, they got pulled out. Now, interestingly, the word for the scarlet thread is the word tikva in the Hebrew. And this word tikva means not only a scarlet thread, but it means expectation or hope. And they, they said, put this line of expectation that you can expect to be saved. You can expect that you will not be harmed if you put this thread on your window, this red thread. And of course, we, we sort of type it out as, as a possibility of of Christ's blood or the Passover even with the Hebrews. And so this, this amazing moment where this whole family was saved because they had an expectation and a trust that they would be okay. Now, interestingly enough, Rahab then became, she actually, from what I understand, she married one of the spies. <laughs> His name was Solomon. And he became the father of they became the parents of Boaz, who was the father of Jesse, who was the father of David. And so we had this, I think, a, maybe a great-grandmother of David was a harlot, a prostitute. Isn't that amazing? So in her mind, I just wanted, just don't kill me. <laughs> I want to survive this. But in God's mind, he had this whole lineage thing figured out. And as we know, Jesus comes from the lineage of David. And so really, Rahab the harlot is in the lineage of Jesus. She hoped that she would survive, but God had a bigger plan that she would thrive and be part of the lineage of Christ. Isn't that amazing? And I, I just love God, how he works, that, it's, that he's not just 
in for our survival, but he wants us to thrive. He wants us to take us beyond just getting by and just making it through a pandemic, right? That we just, you know, if we can just hang on till everything's clear, we all get our vaccinations and everything's fine, okay? But in the middle of all this, God wants you to thrive. He wants you to exceed. He wants you to have an expectation of good and great things in, in your life, in your heart, for your family, that you're not only just going to be safe, which is great. We all want to be safe. We want to be healthy. We want to be strong. But in the middle of all that, that God has a plan. God has his hand on you for good and for his purposes. Now shoot over to Jeremiah. And this is fascinating to me. Jeremiah 2911. And you all know this scripture. You probably have quoted it a few times in your life. Um, you know, I know I have. I actually wrote a children's song about it. You know, I, I love writing. I, when I got my degree in music, I, I love to, I love to uh, uh, arrange other people's music. And then it really was years later, I found out that God had a message that he wanted me to put into music. And so I started writing these songs. And I remember this one month, it was 1987. In one month, I wrote 30 songs. And it was just like this explosion in my heart that uh, you know, it was all from scripture. Um, you know, in my, my big one that actually went, has now been sung around the globe. Oops, I'm on the wrong sound here. Here we go. Our God is lifted up. It's the shouts of joy. Our God is lifted up. In the sounding of the trumpet, our God is lifted up. It's the shouts of joy. Shout joyfully unto our God. Anyway, that's that's sort of the beginning of it. And that just came from a scripture. That was came from uh, Psalm 40. I always forget this one. 47, I think. And uh, God just exploded this whole thing. And I started writing all these songs. But in the middle of all this, came across Jeremiah 29, 11. And so I, I wrote this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for peace and not disaster. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Whoa, whoa to give you a future and give you a hope. Some of us will grow up tall, eating all our vegetables. Some of us will be a little shorter, and that's okay. Some of us will grow up have lots of wisdom in our eyes, and some of us will make a million dollars, and that's okay. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Okay, so I, I took that for the kids and uh, created sort of a really a neat uh, moment where they could explore the possibilities of what God had in plans for them. And it's so important that we remember that God has a plan. God has a future and a hope for each one of us. Can you say amen? <laughs> Thank you. I guess you said it. And anyway, so it's, uh, here in uh, Jeremiah, 
he does, he says something, and it's really interesting. If you go back one verse and you get the context of what he's saying this about, because sometimes we say, hey, everything's going to be great, a future and a hope. But here it is, verse 10, he says, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you to bring you back to this place because they were in, in um, exile. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So we put into the context Jeremiah is trying to give them an expectation and a hope that the future is going to be great, but you got 70 years, <laughs> 70 years. Can you hang in there for 70 years? Some of us can't hang in for 70 seconds. <laughs> he's, he's telling the Israelites or the, the Jews that you just got to hang in there for 70 years. And then I got a future and I got a hope for you, for your for the next generation, for the people that follow after you, don't give up. Don't, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. Hallelujah. This is a wonderful thing that God gives us. And I looked, I looked this word hope up in this, in uh, Jeremiah 11, uh, 29, 11. The word hope there is guess what? Tikva. It's that same expectation that he gave to Rahab. Okay. And he gives it to the Israelites and says, there's a hope, there is a tikvah, there's an expectation and a future for you. Don't give up. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful thing. You know, when I was, when I was in the Dalles and I was teaching uh, music and have a really a wonderful time with my students. And, you know, I raised up a, an 80 voice choir there in the middle in the, in the junior high school there and just loved what I was doing. But in the meantime, my beard had grown way down to here. It was bright red. Uh, and, you know, I, my, my hair was getting longer and all this kind of stuff. My piano playing was sort of, you know, sort of stupid <laughs> and very, very minimal stuff. But my wife was asked to lead worship at a, uh, at a women's aglow, a, a women's meeting. And, the, and she wanted me to play piano for that. So it was me and the ladies. And so I, I sat there and we did song, you know, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. And sang the, all the old choruses and things like that. And it was it was okay, but I, I really wasn't that great on the piano and and I wasn't really thrilled to be there with all these ladies. But there was a and there was a man who was the speaker there, and he got up at the end of the service and he he looked at me and said, I have a word for you. I believe I see you leading worship and doing worship conferences around the world. This is 1977. <laughs> and he said, with that, I want to, I want to uh, tell you that you're going to write songs. that will be translated into many different languages. Again, I was not a writer at that time. And all this stuff. And he starts pouring this out on me. And I'm going, me? You know, and I had no expectation at that time. I had no ambition to do anything beyond the Dallas. I love the Dallas. I love there. But God had different plans. 
God blasted us out of there through circumstances, put us in a, in a larger church, uh, got me involved in a Bible college, got involved with uh, international students, started working with Japanese and Indonesian and Chinese and Ugandans and all this kind of stuff. And it just started stretching me, stretching me, stretching me. And started learning more about God and about worship and about Jesus and all these things. It was so, so powerful. And, uh, and I remember in 1987, I'm standing in Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And I'm standing in front of a thousand people and they're singing one of my songs in Portuguese. And I remember this prophecy or this word that was given to me so many years ago that he would see me, he saw me doing what I was doing right there 10 years later. See, sometimes the hope and the expectation isn't necessarily for today, isn't exactly right now, but we gotta think the long picture, right? We gotta think the big picture. We've got to think how God thinks from eternal perspectives. And so in that process, you know, I, you might think, well, you know, you just had this magical moment and you, you got to go to the nations. Well, you probably know this as, as Christians, that every, everything that comes across your way is tested. And so we came across this moment in time with our lives. So we had this expectation, okay, maybe God wants to do something with me. So, you know, I could have tried to move out and, and go to the nations, but no, God actually took us down deeper into the valley. And I, I remember when we moved from the Dallas to Portland, we spent one whole year crying, one whole year weeping, one whole year saying, God, I will never laugh again. I don't know what to do. My ministry, it's over. I'm done with. I mean, we were devastated, absolutely devastated with the, the thing that happened to us. And I thought, I will never do this again. It's just, it was so overwhelming. And I literally couldn't laugh. I literally had no joy. And so that in this process, God just started to heal our hearts, bring us to a place so where 10 years later, we were able to step into this ministry and step into uh, into the nations and to give them hope in, uh, in all of that. God is so good. I want you to take you to the scripture that we, we started with there in Psalm 33. And I don't know if you have that with you. I'm just going to read through it, give you a, a couple of stories, and then we'll, then we'll end here. Um, but Psalm 33, I'm just going to start with verse 18. It says, but the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. To deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. So I, I stepped into an interesting scenario uh, a few years ago in Malaysia where we had a uh, uh, we were ministering in this wonderful church there, big church, but they were hosting in uh, Kuala Lumpur. They were hosting uh, 100 Myanmar refugees, all these uh, students who had, had fled Myanmar because, it, and this is not known so much in the national news, but the Christians are being persecuted just as much as the, the uh, Rohingya there. And it's just some, this amazing thing. They were able to escape this intense persecution, people dying, people being killed, 
uh, women being raped, all these wonder, uh, uh, horrible things happening to them. And yet now they're here in a safe land in Malaysia. And they were told when they got there, they were given a choice. We will help you uh, get visas to go to America, or you can go back to Myanmar. And we will train you to become a pastor and to go back and plant churches in Myanmar. These 100 students chose to go back to Myanmar. They had the choice of a, an, a, a lot better life, probably in America, but they chose to go back and to be trained to go back, probably into persecution, potentially death. And so I step into this place. I step into this uh, uh, class where they're all at. There's a, there was a hundred of them. They were all spread out with tables and chairs and everything. And I, I step into this room and it's emblazoned in my mind. This is one of the most intense moments I've had in my life. It was very hot and humid. There was no, no air conditioning. They were all, they were all uh, sweating. And I step up and they had a keyboard sitting there. So I, so I just, uh, not, you know, and they introduced me and they all cheered and, and you know, clap for me. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm please don't do that. I want to honor you. And so I stepped up to the keyboard and I just started singing this. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love that you would take my place. And I kid you not, I, that's all I did. I just did that. And they stood as one, 100 kids, and they rushed me. <laughs> and they stood in front of me. And some of them danced. And some of them fell to the, to, to the ground and, and were weeping. But they all, for, for some reason, they all knew this English song, and which, is, which was a good, good thing. They knew it. But they started singing this song with great faith. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would. Uh, I forget the words now, <laughs> but this is a wonderful moment of realization that these guys knew that they were going back to possible persecution, possible stuff, but their expectation was not in what was going to happen there. Their expectation was in Christ Jesus. It was in the reality of his amazing grace. This is a wonderful thing. We all need this in our hearts, that God would take us out of out of our situation where we where we're putting our hope, let's you know, putting our trust maybe in into the fight our finances, putting our hope in the government, and putting our hope in all sorts of things, and you know, trusting people. And I'm not saying we shouldn't, but I'm saying that ultimately our hope and our expectation must be, amen, in Christ. It absolutely has to be rock solid right there. Your church is facing some stuff right now. And the hope and the expectation is in Christ. It's not in you. It's not in your leaders, but it's in Christ. Okay. That the, the ultimate hope, the ultimate future and a hope that comes for your great church is in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So I, I just want to pray with you and, and we'll, we'll go on here. But I want you to know that God has his hand on you for good for his purposes. It might take a while, but it's okay. You're going to go through valleys. It's okay. You're going to get hurt. It's okay. You might even be persecuted, but it's going to be okay But you're, because your trust and your hope 
and your expectation is in him. You have a great church. You have great people. You have people, uh, leaders and, and people just, just in just the little bit I've heard of you and about you and listening to your hearts. I know that God is here and that's all, that's all you need, right? It's just this beautiful thing that God has brought forth. You're a, a beautiful expression of Jesus Christ on the earth in Portland. And Portland needs you, by the way. Okay? Hallelujah. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this beautiful people that you've raised up for such a time as this. That, Lord, you have not abandoned them. You haven't walked away. You haven't turned your back. You shine upon them. That uh, your heart is strong towards them. Lord, we wait in hope for you. You're our help. You're our shield. We rejoice in you, Lord. We trust in you. We, may your unfailing love be with us, even as we put our hope in you. You're such a good God. So today, I pray that we would all raise our expectation of what you have in store, not only for us, but all those around us, and especially our children, even on the Father's Day. The sense of a father being all about our kids. And that's who we are, Lord. We're all about your kids. It's not just about us. It's not just about us surviving. But it's about us thriving in you. So we give you the glory and the honor today for all that you've done and then all that you desire to do, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God.